0: The book of John, chapter 16, and we're going to read a number of scriptures. Actually, we're going to go move around in scripture today quite a bit. But today, I want to preach uh, our seventh message on contending for the faith. And today, specifically, we're going to deal with the person and work of the Holy Spirit. The person and work of the Holy Spirit Uh, and the... The following message, the next message in the month of August, is going to deal with uh, one particular area of the Holy Spirit, and that is the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Obviously, that doctrine is certainly not without controversy, uh, and yet we find it in Scripture. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit. But today, I would like somehow, if there is, I believe, if there is anything that we need as a church it is to know the Holy Spirit it is to experience the Holy Spirit in a mighty and a powerful and a wonderful way and uh, just doing some of the the, the work on this and uh, just sort of rereading some of the resources that I've had through the years and one in particular that I had honestly never never really picked up but just started to read on this subject by R.A. Torrey uh brother who lived here in the city of Chicago in the 1800s, was a contemporary of D.L. Moody, uh, had ministered in such a mighty way, uh, also wrote a book on both subjects, the, the person and work of the Holy Spirit and also the baptism of the Holy Spirit, among other things, how to pray, how to witness to anyone, a number of things. But one of the things that he points out and pointed out, he said, we need to know the power of the Holy Spirit experientially. In an experimental way, it needs to be that we understand that this is not just somehow a theological, you know, pile of of facts about the Holy, Holy Spirit that we have to pack into our minds. But we need to get to know this wonderful person of the Holy Spirit that the Bible reveals because... It is through Him that we are able to live our lives pleasing to God. It's through Him that we are able to minister to others and be effective in the world that we're living in. And quite honestly, if we sort of take an honest assessment of ourselves and if we take inventory of our own hearts and realize that we have maybe been ineffective, largely ineffective in our lives in the kingdom of God, I believe that we could probably trace Right back to this doctrine, the fact that we do not know the Holy Spirit as we should, not theologically, but experientially. And while this message today is going to be very theological in some senses because we're going to deal with what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit... It is my heart's cry that we would come to know the Holy Spirit in our church. Brothers and sisters, it'll revolutionize our worship. It'll revolutionize our daily lives. Where we live, where we where we are, the decisions that we make, the the things that we plan to do or don't plan to do, the conversations that we have, the people that we hang with, the, 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 the places that we go, the Holy Spirit will begin to rule and regulate in our hearts if we will yield to his gentle moving. And brothers and sisters, he moves gently, but he moves definitely if we are willing to allow him. So it is my desire today that somehow, through the theological pile of facts that I might load upon you this morning... That somewhere along the way in this this very brief journey, and it is brief today because this subject is so extensive. We don't have time to deal with it all in one message. But in this very brief journey that somehow through all of this, you and I would come to the place where we would say, Lord, we've got to have more of your spirit. You say, well, I can't see the Holy Spirit. That's true, you can't. That's why it's called spirit spirit. God is, the Bible says, Spirit. You cannot see Him, but I'm here to let you know you can sense Him. You can hear Him. And we're going to get into some of these things that the Holy Spirit does in just a few moments. But there are really two basic areas that I want to deal with today. First of all, who is the Holy Spirit? And secondly, what does He do? Now obviously, as I mentioned, this subject is so extensive, we're only gonna, I'm picking just a few things here today, and it's a lot of things to digest. I might even throw some references to you that we're not going to read. If you have a pen, you want to write them down and go back to them a little bit later on to somehow in your own study begin to see what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. But I want us now to go to John chapter 16. And there are a couple of things that we're going to read, a couple of verses of Scripture that we're going to read about the Holy Spirit. The Bible says this, starting at verse 5. Jesus said, now I am going to him who sent me, that is the Father. Yet none of you asks me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I am going away. You know, I remember as a kid thinking to... I'm just going to stop right here just for a moment just to kind of relay this to you. I remember as a kid thinking, growing up in church, uh, as I did, I remember thinking somehow, I just wish I could see Jesus. You know, I just... I, I wanted to... You know, it's kind of like the little girl who... Uh, she was really scared one night, and her daddy was trying to calm her down and just say, listen, you don't have to be afraid. Mommy and daddy are here, and we're in the house. And, but more than that, Jesus is with you. And she looked around the room a little bit, and she said, yes, but I'd really like to have someone with skin on. And somehow that's how we feel sometimes, and yet Jesus is promising something even better than his physical presence. He is promising something is going to take place. Listen to what he says in verse 7. But I tell you the truth, it is good for you, uh, It is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor, that is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. We're going to get into these verses a little bit later on. We're going to read some of these. When he comes, he will convict the world of sin, of guilt, uh, the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. And we're going to stop reading right there. But he says, "If I don't go away, the Counselor or the Holy Spirit, and we're going to dig into that word in just a, mo- a moment, he's not going to come to you, now, brothers and sisters." Jesus ascended into heaven. We read about it in Matthew chapter 28, we read about it uh, at the the end of the book of John, we read about it at at pretty much the end of all the gospels, and even in the book of Acts, we read about it in Acts chapter 1. Jesus has ascended into heaven, and Jesus promised his disciples, he said, unless I go away, I can't send the counselor to you. I can't send to you this one who is going to be not only with you, but he is also going to be in you. I've got to go away, but I'm not going to leave you. And this is the wonderful thing about it. I'm not going to leave you as orphans, I'm not going to leave you by yourself. You're not going to be alone. And I realize that maybe today you might have walked into this building and feeling like somehow nobody really knows or gets what I'm going through. And you feel as though somehow through all of it, you're walking alone. There might be people around you. You might have friends that you discuss your, your issues with. You might discuss your problems with. You might sit down with them and you might, over a cup of coffee, you might say what it is that you might be going through, and they look at you with this, sort of that blank stare that we sometimes get when we can't quite identify with what you're going through, but I need you to know today that you are not alone. You are not walking alone because the Holy Spirit has come and He is with us today and He, God, has not left us as orphans. The Spirit came from the Father and now resides in this world with believers. So who is this Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? Well, one of the things that we have to understand when we are talking about this idea and we are talking about doctrines that are under attack, we are contending for the faith. And one of the doctrines that is under attack is just this entire doctrine of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. There is a whole line of of beliefs and, and those who would call themselves Pentecostals and Charismatics who, be, who don't believe that the Holy Spirit is, in fact, a person. In fact, they don't believe the Father is a person. They don't believe in a trinity. So for them, this is a stumbling block. But the Bible reveals that the Holy, per, Holy Spirit is, in fact, a person. That is, he possesses attributes of personality. How do we know this? Where do we find it in Scripture? Well, I'm glad you asked. John chapter 16 and verse 14. John chapter 16 and verse 14. The first way that we understand that he is in fact a person and has personality is, for those of you who hated English grammar, I'm going to throw something on you. There are to describe individuals' personal pronouns, he, she, as opposed to it. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not some kind of an energy, some kind of a force, but he is, in fact, a person. We see in scripture that personal pronouns are used in reference to him. Let's look at John chapter 16 and verse 14, reading in the NIV. The Bible says, He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. Notice, Jesus says this about him now. This is not Peter, this isn't John. This is Jesus teaching his disciples about this person of the Holy Spirit and he refers to the Holy Spirit as a he. He will bring glory to me. Turn over to Ephesians. The book of Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 14. Another one. The Bible lets us know this. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 14. It says this. Who, not what, Who is a deposit, speaking about the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory? The Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing an inheritance. In other words, the Holy Spirit was sent into this world to let you know there is something wonderful that is coming down the road. There is something wonderful. But again, he is referred to as a who, not a what, not an it, not some energy, not some force that is out there, but a person, somebody with a per, with personality. There are also personal characteristics that are ascribed to the Holy Spirit. In the Bible it indicates to us that the, the definition of, or a, a, a basic definition Of a person is somebody with intelligence, emotion, or feeling, and a will. He possesses all three of these things. Now go over with me if you would, and I want you to see his intelligence. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 to 12. And we're going to see that the Holy Spirit has intelligence. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 10 through 12 The Bible says this and starting at verse 10 it says but God has revealed it to us by his spirit the spirit searches all things even the deep things of God for who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him in the same way No one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God that we may understand what God has freely given us. The Bible says here that He knows, the Spirit knows the thoughts of God. And so together they work, the triune God works together to reveal those thoughts to mankind, to be able to unfold this great mystery of who God is, what it is that he wants to accomplish in our lives. But the Holy Spirit has intelligence. In another place, in 1 Corinthians, it is also ascribed that the gifts of the Spirit, one of them is the word of wisdom. Another is a word of knowledge. So the Holy Spirit has intelligence, but the Holy Spirit also possesses emotion and feeling. The Holy Spirit can love, and I'm not gonna, we're not going to turn there. But in Romans chapter fifteen and verse thirty, love is ascribed to the Holy Spirit. Also, in addition to that, the Holy Spirit can be grieved. Now, you can't grieve something that is not a person. If it's an it, you can't grieve it. You can't do that. He's got to be a person. He is not... He is not grieved if he is not a person. But in fact, the Bible describes the Holy Spirit as someone who can in fact be grieved. And brothers and sisters, it is my desire that throughout our meetings that we never come to the place where we grieve the Holy Spirit. It can be as simple as getting ahead of God in a meeting. Maybe it is that I feel as though somehow i got to move the meeting along. Listen, if the Holy Spirit wants to break in upon us and he wants to to do a deep work in our lives, then we cannot allow His emotion to be grieved and stepped on. We've got to let His will, which is the next thing He possesses. If you're in 1 Corinthians, turn to chapter 12 and verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 11, we've got to let His will come about and do as He pleases within our meetings. The Bible says this, That the Holy Spirit possesses a will. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 11. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And He gives them to each one. Notice this. Just as He determines. That shows us that He has a will. So He has intelligence. He has emotion, feeling. And he possesses a will. And so we see also through this that the Holy Spirit is a person. He is somebody that we can adore. It is, he is somebody that we can approach and we can say fill our lives anew and afresh and bring into our spirits something wonderful that will change us and help us to live more like Christ. But not only are there personal characteristics personal pronouns ascribed to Him, but also personal actions are attributed to Him. I'm not going to spend a long time in this. I'm just going to briefly list some of the things that the Holy Spirit does in Scripture that we find that shows us there are personal actions that He fulfills. First of all, He speaks. He speaks. The Holy Spirit speaks. We find this all throughout the book of Acts as the Holy Spirit speaks to the disciples in one place or another. The Holy Spirit is constantly speaking. Do you realize today that even in the middle of this message and in the middle of this service, the Holy Spirit is speaking? We've got to be attuned to the fact that the Holy Spirit is speaking to our hearts. You say, Pastor, you haven't really said much yet for the Holy Spirit to speak to me yet. Well, I'm here to let you know the Holy Spirit can speak in spite of me. You see, the Lord is always talking to us. He is always saying something. The question is, are we really listening to what the Spirit is trying to say? What did Jesus say to the seven churches? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We've got to have listening ears. If we don't have a heart that's in tune with the Spirit, how in the world are we ever going to say that we are in fact a church? The church is the place where the Spirit dwells. It's not a building. It's not a group of people who get together. It's not a social club. This is a place where the Spirit of God both is welcome and needs to be in operation. He speaks to our lives. The Bible lets us know in John chapter 15 and verse 26, He testifies. In John chapter 14 and verse 26, and we're going to get back to this again, He teaches In Romans 8, 26 and 27, he intercedes. I love that one. We're going to jump on that one a little bit more a little bit later on in this message. But he comes into the place where we can't somehow go in prayer. He takes over. The Bible also lets us know in John chapter 16 and verse 13 that he guides. He guides. He doesn't drag you along. Uh, The best scenario for understanding how somebody guides someone else is to see a seeing person with a person who is blind. And oftentimes you will see that now the person who can see isn't dragging the blind person along. They're coming alongside of them. They're guiding this person. They come alongside of them and they're talking to them. And at the same time they're talking to them, they're walking with them. And at the same time they're walking with them, they're touching them. And they're helping them along. The Holy Spirit does all of those things for us. Because listen, brothers and sisters, you and I don't know what tomorrow holds. But the Spirit of God understands what's coming. And He comes up alongside of us. And He begins to guide us through every area of life that seems so dark. And we don't know what to do. The Holy Spirit is there to guide you and to help you. He guides us. I'm not supposed to be preaching these points, but they're too good not to preach. He gives commands and He ordains. Acts chapter 13 and verse 2. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. He gives commands and He ordains. He works miracles. And brothers and sisters, for those who might have bought into the lie that says he stopped, he hasn't. Either, either God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, or he's not. Or somehow he changed all the rules of the game. Somewhere along the way he changed it. Hey, he just didn't clue in his people. He is the same. He still works miracles. He still does great things. He still changes lives, not only spiritually, but physically. He still performs miracles. We can believe that the Holy Spirit will and, in fact, does continue to do that work. But let's talk about the fact not only that he is a person. Let's just briefly talk about the fact that he is deity. He is, in fact, the third person of the Trinity. By third, we don't mean less than. In fact, the Bible indicates that he is co-equal with the Father and with the Son. The Bible reveals a number of things about the fact that the Holy Spirit is God. And yet, together, they work in a cooperating fashion Never against one another, but always the same. We have one God in three persons. I realize that for many that is difficult to get your mind around and your heart around. It is one of those areas that we accept by faith, though we don't fully comprehend it. We can somehow arrive at it from Scripture, and Scripture is replete with everything. Listen, we're not changing Scripture so that it conforms with our human reasoning. No, no, no. We conform our reasoning to understand that the Bible is the inspired Word of God, and therefore we accept what the Scripture says. In Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, the Holy Spirit is called God. We see that in Scripture He is called God, but also there are divine attributes that are ascribed to Him. There are qualities about God that show He's divine. Let's deal with some of them, shall we? Don't need to turn there, but I'm going to ask you to turn over. In fact, I'd like you to turn over to Psalm 139, verse 7 in just a moment. Just get ready. We're going to get there in just a second. Psalm 139 and verse 7. Psalm 139 and verse 7, but the Bible reveals to us in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14 that the Holy Spirit is eternal. He always was, he always will be. The same way the Father and the Son are, he is. He is always and ever will be eternal, always was, always will be. But not only that, John chapter 14 and verse 26 lets us know that he is omniscient. That is, he knows everything. We just read a passage in 1 Corinthians, in the the book of 1 Corinthians, that lets us know that the Spirit of God searches out the mind of God and knows the mind of God. He understands all of that, and so he knows all there is to know. The Bible also reveals in Psalm 139 and verse 7, David writes these words and says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? What we understand about the Holy Spirit is not only is he omniscient, he knows everything, but he is omnipresent. He says, and David goes on to say in this passage, if I ascend into heaven, Lord, you're there. And if I make my bed in the depths or in hell, behold, you're there. It's an amazing thing, and I love that because no matter how low you might go in life, you need to know that the Holy Spirit is there to pick you up out of that mess and pull you up and give you a hope and give you a future. Listen, you have not gone so low that the Holy Spirit can't reach down and grab you and set you up. So he is omnipresent. No matter where you are, he's there. It ought to be a challenge for us as Christians to make the right decisions about what we say, what we talk about, who we talk about, how we talk about things, what we do, where we go, all of those things. Because no matter where you go, he's right there. He is omnipresent. He is omnipotent. That is, he is all-powerful. There is all power within his hand. The Holy Spirit is absolutely holy. The Bible says, don't grieve in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. He is not, part of his title is he is the Holy Spirit. And so we, listen, one of the things that we have to be very careful about is how it is that we joke about God and the things of God. One of the, You know, we, we often talk about God in such glib fashion, yet, yet I wonder sometimes if the Holy Spirit isn't just grieved about how it is that we somehow joke about Him and what He does. Brothers and sisters, this is no joke. He is the Holy Spirit, and as such, He is in us to make us be holy and be more Christ-like. Not only that, but one of the qualities he has that is divine is that of foreknowledge he knows what's coming not only that there are divine works attributed to the holy spirit creation the bible says in genesis chapter 1 it lets us know that in the beginning was in the beginning in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth and there the spirit of god hovered Over the waters. There we see God the Father and and God the Spirit present at creation. John chapter 1 and verse 1 reveals that the Word or the Son was also present at creation, that the worlds came into existence through this triune God. So creation is attributed to Him, prophecy is attributed to Him, intercession is attributed to Him. But this is the last one. I want you to turn over to 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21. And we see that through the Spirit, the Scripture has been inspired. Through the Holy Spirit, the Scripture has been inspired. This book, as I had someone just recently say to me, was not just some way that the ancients sort of figured out how to describe what it was that they were seeing. No, no, no. This was not the work of man. This was the work of the Holy Spirit. Over centuries of time, the Holy Spirit superintended the writers of this book to be able to say exactly what God wanted to say to mankind and reveal himself through this word. The Holy Spirit inspired the Scripture 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 21 The Bible says for prophecy never had its origin in the will of man notice that it wasn't the will of those who were you know lived in ancient times the ancient writers but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the holy spirit As they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, they wrote. Now, it wasn't God coming down and moving the hand of the writer and saying, No, 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 don't say that. No, that's too much of your personality. If there is you you want to read about personalities coming through, you read Paul's epistles and then go to John's epistles. And you will find two different styles, words that might be used to describe things that are completely different from another writer. You'll find that here, today, on earth. You read the writing of, of one writer. I, I, one writer I enjoy is Max Lucado. He has, a, he has a specific style, like Max Lucado's stuff. I read Max Lucado, and the, then I pick up, you know, uh, I pick up a, a book by Dr. Norman Geisler, who I also love, but completely different stuff, and two different ways of saying things. Or you pick up a book by somebody else and you realize their personalities are coming through. The Holy Spirit allowed the personalities of the writers to come through. But he inspired, he was the one who inspired these words that we have and we are reading today. Men spoke as God carried them along by the Holy Spirit. Now, that's who he is in a nutshell. See, I can't believe that's the nutshell. But believe it or not, it is. That's who He is. More importantly, what is He going to do? What is He going to do? This we cannot deal with in depth. It's impossible in the amount of time that we have. But He does things for us that, brothers and sisters, nobody else could do for ourselves. But before we start with us as believers, we got to start with the unbeliever. Because the Holy Spirit has an active role in the life of an unbeliever. Believe it or not, he does. He works in the unbelieving heart. Now, there are times we want to grab a hold of a family member or a friend or a coworker and just somehow shake them. And, and, and nothing changes. And you might even try that. You know, it's like the, like the story I told you about how some of the dear saints used to come up along behind me and they knew I was being rebellious and they dragged me to the altar and they'd pray for me and I'd sit there as rebellious as I was and I would be rebellious when I got up. There, as, as much as they were trying to do the work of the Holy Spirit, they couldn't. The Holy Spirit is the one who has to do the work in the life of an unbeliever. You've got a family member. You've got a friend. Listen, I, you're praying for. You need to continue to pray, continue to witness and let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit is going to do. You let him work. Say, but he's not moving fast enough. According to whom? Let the Lord work out the timing. Let the Lord work when he's going to work. He will do the work in, in their lives as long as we are faithful to what God has told us to do. We have to understand that the scripture reveals to us that the Holy Spirit does in fact have a work to do in the life of an unbeliever. Turn back over to John chapter 16. John chapter 16, the Bible says this, (laughs) John chapter 16 and verses 8 through 11, the Bible says when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. Now, he's going to convict of sin because men don't believe in him. In regard to righteousness, he says, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. Jesus was the perfect picture of righteousness on earth. He says, but I'm going to the Father. So how is the world going to see how it ought to be? How it's not, but how it ought to be. How is it going to see? Through the Holy Spirit. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. He had already judged Satan, the prince of the world. He had already judged him. His judgment was sure. His judgment was there. And he is going to convict those who follow after the rebellion of the enemy, which was simply pride getting in the way of accepting who God is and what God wants to do. The Bible lets us know that he's judged the, the, the prince of this world. Those who follow the prince of the world stand under the same kind of judgment. So here's, we, here's what we have. Someone once said this about these three things, and I want to read this because it's so good. It might take a couple of readings for us to begin to sink down into our hearts. These three things, what we just read about, are the most difficult to impress on any man. For he can always attempt to justify himself By asserting an excusable motive for evil actions. This was written a long time ago, and we don't know who wrote it. There was no author ascribed to this. By asserting an excusable motive for evil actions, or by pleading a relative scale of ethical standards in place of absolute righteousness. If you believe the lie that says what's good for you is not necessarily good for me, you are falling into the same kind of an ethical lie that says everything is relative, there's no absolute truth. Dr. Geisler has a, has a very, very good comeback for that. For somebody who says there is no absolute truth, he simply says, now do you believe that Absolutely. See, if there's no absolute truth, what's coming out of your mouth right now, the nonsense, that's not even absolute. But yet people hold to their own set of absolutes. But let me read on. He says this. It says this. It says, or by assuming that judgment is indefinitely deferred so that it's no real threat. Judgment's not coming for a long time, so I don't even need to worry about it. Your judgment, you know, it, long, wrong way off. Who cares? If it's something that's in the end time, I can just say the end time is not coming. I can even just say, you know, God isn't going to, he isn't going to judge anybody. God's not going to judge anybody. How could a loving God judge anybody? He's judging based on his terms of holiness. Not yours, not mine, but his. Judgment is in fact coming. But the Holy Spirit has to convict and convince the sinner of sin in regard to sin because men do not believe in me. It is the Holy Spirit's responsibility, not yours, to convince and convict those who don't know Christ that they need Christ and that they're living in sin. Now, one of the popular ways of getting rid of the whole topic of sin is just to eliminate it from our sermons, eliminate it from from any kind of conversation, and don't talk about sin because sin doesn't exist because, remember, there are no absolutes. There is no absolute truth. If there's no absolute truth, there's no sin. Done. Thank you very much. Go home. That's what man says. God says there are absolutes. There is absolute truth. And that absolute truth has been revealed through his word the Holy Spirit will begin to convict even that one who believes in the whole relative. Everything is relative. He'll begin to convict that individual that there is something on the inside of them that is not right. There is a sin that is present in them that does not fulfill their needs, is not meeting their needs, is not helping them. And it's the Holy Spirit who can turn on the light. We've got to believe that the Holy Spirit can work in the heart of an unbeliever to change their way as julian mentioned this morning hearing what was spoken in this lady's funeral there were so many people who attended this funeral they heard the un-gospel but even in those who have, have have somehow grabbed a hold of that idea the holy spirit can still break through he can still break through the darkness and change that individual's heart and bring them to a place of repentance of righteousness the bible says in regard to righteousness because i'm going to the Father. You can see me no longer. One of the great writers, George Smeaton, says this. He says, to convince the world of righteousness must mean that the Spirit gives convincing evidence, not merely that His cause is good or that the cause of God is good and that He, God, is innocent, but that in Him is found a righteousness which the world needs. A righteousness that is not present in this world but that the world so desperately needs. That righteousness that comes in which is graciously provided to us and becomes our faith. It is a righteousness that no amount of striving of man can he ever arrive at. It is a righteousness of Christ that comes as a result of his death and resurrection. A righteousness that you and I can have. Brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit is going to convince and convict the world that they need a righteousness that's higher than their own. The whole, I have never robbed a bank kind of thing, doesn't quite cut it with God. The whole, you know, self-righteousness that says, well, you know, I'm, I, I don't hurt anybody. I've never hurt anybody. I'm not mean to people. I, You know, I try to help people. I give to charity every now and then. You know, I try to do all of those things. That's not the righteousness that he's talking about. And the Holy Spirit, only the Holy Spirit can convict and convince that individual that they need a righteousness that's higher than their own. Of judgment, I've already dealt with that a little bit. The fact that the 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 prince of this world stands condemned. Anybody who follows after sin and goes after sin, what they need to understand is they are under judgment. But there is a way out. That's the wonderful thing about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can reveal that that Jesus, as he was lifted up, he would draw men unto himself. But there's also another place in Scripture where it reveals to us that, that none can come to him unless the Holy Spirit draws them. We need to recognize that the Holy Spirit can convince a person they don't need to come under the judgment of God, but instead they can find the grace and the mercy of God that was provided on Calvary for lost mankind. That's how he's going to work in the life of an unbeliever. But what about us as a believer? And I want to close with these last three things. These are just three basic things. That he is a comforter or a counselor. Some translations, I believe the King James uses this in John chapter 14 and verse 16, comforter. The NIV translates it counselor. Either way, the Greek word that was used in the original language in which the New Testament was written was paraclete. That word means one who has come alongside to help. And Jesus said this, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Forever. Literally, one called alongside to help. Now, this should have encouraged the disciples at the moment, but they were still fearful And up until the time that the power of the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost. They somehow didn't quite get what the Holy Spirit was going to do, even though Jesus was revealing to them. At that point, he says, I'm going to call somebody who is always going to be there. He's omnipresent, so he is going to be able to be at your side and my side at the same time. He says he's going to be called alongside to help you. Listen, brothers and sisters, most of us in life deal with a series and successions of difficult things and we go from problem to problem to problem, to problem. That might be your life. That might be how things are in life. But you need to understand that you are not walking alone. The Holy Spirit is there with you. He is your counselor. He is your comforter. He is the one who has been called alongside to help you. Yes, he is your guide. He will be there to guide you along the way when you don't know what to do. But more than that, he'll be there to support you and to uphold you. I remember when my grandfather, my maternal grandfather, was getting, well, he was always, when I was a kid, he was always old. He was just, he was one of those granddads. I came along later in life, you know. I I guess I was, I always told my mother that I was one of those kids where, you know, I was, it it was a mistake I was even born. When I got mad at her, I'd say, it was a mistake I was even born. And I, you know, from time to time, I kind of got the impression that maybe they weren't quite expecting me. But nonetheless, I arrived. But I remember as my grandfather got into his 90s, he died at the ripe old age of 95 years old, I remember my granddad picking him up one Thanksgiving morning. He was now in a convalescent home. He was there so that his needs could be met. He had difficulty walking, and I remember going to get him on this one Thanksgiving morning and walking to the room and, and going into Grampy, and I had to help him. And I, I got up under him. I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't say, Come on, Grampy, hurry up. Let's go. You know, Thanksgiving dinner's waiting. You know, and he's hobbling down the hall. He was, he was old. He was, he was sickly. He couldn't help himself. He couldn't walk as well as he used to be able to. And And so instead of leading him along, instead of getting in front of him and dragging him along, instead of getting behind him and pushing him, I understood for the first time what this really meant, that the Holy Spirit was called alongside to help. I understood at that moment as I reached up under my grandfather and he was significantly bigger than I was, so it was a little bit difficult to really support him really well. But I got alongside of him and I began to walk beside him and began to support him and I could feel his way. He was leaning on me. And I was thinking, Lord, have mercy. Help me, help me, help me. Help me to hold up. And I held up because I had more strength than he had. And as he leaned on me, he was able to walk along as slowly as it might have been. He was able to get along a little bit better than if he was going by himself. Brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit is going to come up alongside of you when you're feeling weak and you don't feel like you can make it anymore. and You feel like you're going to crumble underneath the weight of your problem and problem after problem. The Holy Spirit is your comforter. He is your counselor. He has been called alongside to help you And he will encourage you as you move along. It was not only the wonderful idea that he was there to, I was there to strengthen my granddad, but also as we walked out, it was the fellowship that we had together. Listen, this is also something else that we have as he comes up along under us to give us the strength. We have the wonderful fellowship with the Spirit. He is our comforter and our counselor, that one who is called alongside to help. Not only that, the Bible reveals that in our lives He's going to help us in our weaknesses. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8 and verse 26. Romans chapter 8 and verse 26. The Bible says this, in the same way, and this is a particular weakness at times, we don't know how to pray. Let's apply it to that specific weakness As this is what this scripture is bearing out. He helps us in our weaknesses as it relates to prayer. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Paul goes on and he says, We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Now, those of you who think that prayer has to be nice and and, and neat and packaged just right for God to be able to comprehend what it is that you're saying, please throw that out the window for a minute. Because there are times in our lives where prayer doesn't happen that way. It happens through sobs. It happens through crying. It happens through moments where we can barely even express what it is in our hearts. But the Bible lets us know that through that, as we yield to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit can come along, and he helps us, and he prays through us. And that's how we are able to pray according to the will of God. It's a sure bet each and every time that happens. You're going to pray according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit intercedes through you. And it doesn't even necessarily come out in words of the language that you speak. But instead it comes out through groans. It comes out through cries. Listen, brothers and sisters, you need to know those times where you got on your face before God and all you could do is weep. You need to know he understood what was going on. And in fact, the Spirit of God was working something through that prayer that you couldn't even begin to put your finger on. But the power of God was working and moving through those cryings and those groanings and those sobbings that the Spirit of God was working on your behalf. He helps us in our weaknesses as we pray. But not only that, the last thing that I want to deal with is this in our lives. And there's so much more that He does for us. So much more. But yet, He is our teacher. He is our teacher. We need to lean on the Holy Spirit to be our teacher. There are times in in our lives where we pick up the Word of God and we don't know exactly what it is that's being said. We need to continue to read. Don't get discouraged at the times where you don't really fully comprehend something that you're reading. There is a principle that we learned in Bible college, and I want to say a couple of years ago when we started prayer and Bible study, and we began to, to deal with how to study the Word of God, how to study the Bible, or how to read the Bible, we, the principle is simply this, Scripture interprets Scripture. Scripture. You read one area, you might not understand it, but you read another part of Scripture, and all of a sudden the light goes on and it sheds light on the part that you didn't understand. The Holy Spirit is teaching you at that point. that is the Holy Spirit active and working and moving in your life, helping you to understand His Word. Go back to John chapter 16, or 14, John chapter 14. but the Bible and the Bible says this, John chapter 14 and verse 26. I want you to read this and see this so that you can know that the Holy Spirit will be your teacher. Say, well, then, great. I don't need to come to church anymore. I can stay at home. The Holy Spirit's going to... No, 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 no. That's not not how it happens, folks. You see, the Lord uses the, the nonsense, the foolishness, as Paul says, of preaching as well. And he can only do that as I'm yielded to the Holy Spirit. He can only do that through the Holy Spirit in your life. But he says this in John chapter 14 and verse 26. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Let me stop right there and simply say this. that you remember the disciples before the Holy Spirit was poured out on them? Before the day of Pentecost, none of them got what was talked about in the Old Testament about Christ. Remember there were times Jesus said, don't you remember what the, what the word says about me? Don't you remember what it says in the book of Moses, what it says in the Psalms about me, about what's supposed to happen to me? And they all just kind of looked at him like, no, nope, don't get it. And when the Holy Spirit came, the Holy Spirit all of a sudden taught them to the point where Peter on the day of Pentecost. I mean, not a lot of time had to happen, but all of a sudden the word came alive. Remember Peter standing up and all of a sudden now Peter is pulling out the book of Joel. And he's saying, I want you to know this is that which was spoken of in the book of Joel in the by the prophet Joel. When it says, in the last days will I pour out my spirit on all flesh. All of a sudden, Peter is now going to the Old Testament. He's quoting David. He's quoting the Psalms. Like, all of a sudden, now he gets it. Listen, the Holy Spirit will be your teacher. The Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you into all truth. Over in John chapter 16 and verse 13. The Bible says this. John 16 and verse 13. But when he... The Spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. The Holy Spirit not only talks about things that are, but what is coming down the road. He teaches us, he helps us to grasp, he helps us to understand what is written in the Word of God to be able to know what is coming down the road. He gives us an idea and an understanding of what it is that we need to know from the Word of God. He reveals the Word of God to us. Now, you say, into all truth, that's like everything? Am I going to be a big, you know... All of a sudden, a big know-it-all? No, 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 that's not what we're talking about. You say, I need help in math. Well, you know, he might be able to help you in math. But I think really what he wants to help you in is to get this. You know, I remember as a kid looking at my math sheet saying, I don't get it. I don't know how many times my mother heard that out of my mouth. As I brought math homework home, I don't get it. I don't get it. How many of you kids don't get it? Oh, just nobody. You're all. <laughs> maybe you all can tutor me. Help me, because I still don't get it. I don't get it. You know, there are times we look at the Word of God and we say, I don't get it. Listen, don't tell your mother. Don't tell somebody around you. Don't tell your pastor. Go to the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, I don't get it. And he said, I'm going to be your tutor. I'm going to be your teacher. I'm going to be your guide. I'm going to help you, and I'm going to bring it to life so that then it can be a part of you and you can live the way that I desire you to live. Brothers and sisters, if there is anything that we need in this world and we need in our church, it is the Holy Spirit. We need a fresh baptism in the Holy Ghost. And that's for the next sermon. But I want you to know we need to begin to pray now, Lord, fill us anew and afresh. Say, do you believe in that? Absolutely, I do. I absolutely do. I believe the baptism in the Holy Spirit is for today. I believe it is It is something that we so desperately need. And I believe that we need a fresh baptism in this church, in this place. We need the power of the Holy Spirit, you say, but wait a minute, I, I don't know if these, these lights can help, you know, they can hold us up when we're swinging from the chandeliers. Listen, folks, that's not what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is about. That's not what it's for. For those who think it's only a Sunday thing, it's not a Sunday thing. It, the Holy Spirit has come to give you power for service. And he comes and gives us fresh infillings to be able to be effective in the world that we're living in. But like I said, that's for another sermon. I want us to stand together right now.